How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello and welcome to How I Got Here. This is Mozio and FocusWire's weekly podcast where we interview the innovators and entrepreneurs in travel and transportation. Thank you very much to everybody tuning in. As always, uh, a very warm welcome this week uh, to Rajesh Magal. He is the group CEO and a co-founder at Make My Trip, which for most of you will know is the giant India-based online travel agency. Uh, Rajesh's backstory is quite interesting. He joined the company as co-founder with alongside Deep Carrow in 2001. And then there was a, we'll get into this in a moment with Rajesh. There was a time when he was kind of working on the ebook as part of what was going on there in India, but then came back full-time in 2005, 2006, which actually does coincide with when things really did start to ramp up for Make My Trip around that time. Uh, Make My Trip is now a, a publicly listed company and uh, it's gone on to great and uh, powerful things and has uh, interesting agreements with uh, the likes of Sea Trip in many of its later years. So we're going to get into all that. But first of all, a very warm welcome, as we say, to Rajesh Miguel. Thank you very much for joining us, Rajesh. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin, for having me. Thank you for the kind words and the introduction as well. Uh, no bother at all. As is tradition with the How I Got Here podcast, each week with our guests, we ask them to give us uh, a bit of their backstory with the question, how did you get here? Yeah, sure, Kevin. And let me just uh, take a step back and then tell you about the incredible journey for the last 20 years now. Uh, incidentally, this is the 20th year uh, because Mikmatrip was born in 2000 when Deep, uh, Deep Kalra, who had set it up, uh, you know, on April 1, 2000. And then I, along with a couple of other co-founders, Kayur and Sachin, joined him as part of the founding team. And that's how the journey began. And so, you know, while uh, a lot of people would um, probably in today's time in the travel would be thinking more about COVID. So I think it'll be fair to say uh, everything till now was pre-COVID and then post-COVID we will get into uh, you know, what is going to be the, the industry outlook and, and how do we think about Make My Trip. But just talking about pre-COVID or before COVID, BC, if you want to call it, um, uh, you know, rather than being before Christ, I guess, before COVID now, uh, in light rain, but, you know, it can easily be divided into, um, I would say, about four phases very quickly. And I'll explain you about these four phases. The first phase was... Uh, very humble, very startup-like uh, from 2000 to 2005. And as we set it up, uh, you know, we had all kinds of crises that hit us, like, you know, talk about 9-11, talk about SARS, talk about dot-com burst, uh, and, um, and later down 2008 financial crisis as well. But that was like second phase I'll come to. But from 2000 to 2005, India wasn't really ready for internet. I think we were ahead of our times. We realized that uh, because internet ecosystem was not really robust uh, at that point in time from bandwidth to digital payment ecosystem and so on. Uh, you know, the fundamental uh, ecosystem was not really ready. So that went uh, with, you know, it was obviously full of challenges as you could potentially Im imagine from building the startup slowly and gradually to facing the challenges, 
you know, and the resilience test and, you know, having cash crunch and so on and so forth. In fact, you know, the, the money that got committed to us during that phase by a VC actually ended up shutting the shop thanks to dot-com bust as well. Um, and that all of that happened. So that was like first phase full of learnings. And during that phase that we had an e-bookers, as you mentioned, um, little deal with them as well, where Deep and I were kind of leading that deal, uh, doing a dual kind of a role to set the India operations for them. E-bookers were struggling from a cost um, optimization standpoint. So they looked at India as a BPO, um, you know, emerging BPO, uh, you know, kind of country, if you will. And they came to India and they were looking for a management team and they're looking for travel domain and online. And they found Make My Trip had all of it um, in there. And then, and then we struck a deal with them. So as part of that deal, I actually went the other side for setting up the India operations. And then when I kind of moved back, we obviously stayed in touch all the time, Deep and I. And uh, when India was getting ready in September 2005, uh, which I call 2006 to 2010 as the second phase of Make My Trip, you know, I was back in Make My Trip to just relaunch and reset it up and, and then build from there together uh, with the other co-founders that were already there. Uh, and that phase was very interesting. High growth phase, uh, you know, we never looked back. The internet ecosystem was improving. We were going from strength to strength. And, and guess what? In four years flat, we were actually, um, you know, very close to kind of hitting the milestone, which led to IPO, which was probably one of the defining moments for, for Make My Trip in August 2010. When we IPO'd, we were like at a $40 million revenue. Uh, and it was a blockbuster IPO for whatever it's worth um, at that point in time. So that was the second phase, ended on a, on a high. Then we got into the third phase, which was about 2011 to 2017, where we were expanding life as a public company started, highest level of scrutiny, highest level of corporate governance, the quarterly pressures and the, and the works. Uh, and, but we kind of, um, you know, keep kind of embracing that, if you will. Uh, and, and, uh, and by then I had kind of, uh, you know, also changed had from a CFO position to a CEO position. So we had a new CFO came on board right after IPO and all that. I would also call this phase as building the hotel business because we were, uh, predominantly air business and profitable uh, when we IPO'd in 2010. So, uh, and by the time uh, 2017, we reached 2016-17, we were like 50% of our business was from hotels. Uh, so that was like building and scaling up the hotel business, which was a very, which was the defined strategic objective even at the time of IPO. Uh, so that was probably the highlight. And I think it was also uh, the highlight, which is, which brings me to the, uh, to the, uh, you know, uh, last phase of before COVID, if you will, where the market disruption happened, um, you know, the lot of the, the explosion, if I may call it in the internet stocks happened, India started to get a lot more capital, lot more market disruption, and people started burning a lot of money and cash. Uh, and, and the pricing led disruption happened. And that is where, uh, you know, it's kind of the overall dynamics in the marketplace kind of led to a consolidation move. And we had IBBO, which was kind of a number two OTA uh, in the market with Go IBBO as well as Redbus 
uh, merged with us. So we became like a strong three brands entity, um, you know, um, about around 2016, 17. Uh, and ever since that now, uh, if I talk about, uh, you know, where we are today, we're like three years into the merger, very strong, three powerful brands, leading market share, uh, you know, good, good kind of uh, market cap, uh, and then looking into kind of just getting to now all brands together on paths to profitability. So uh, clearly it has been an overall incredible journey for the last 20 years. Okay, thank you very much. That was great. So um, let's go right back. I'm, I, I'm always interested in a bit like superheroes, the origin stories for people. I mean, how did you and Deep and the others, that really initial kind of uh, group, that team, how yeah. was that assembled, like the Avengers almost? I mean, how, what's that backstory there? Yeah, no, I, I think it's, a, it's obviously a, a fair question to ask. And it's quite interesting story, by the way, uh, you know, for I don't know how many um, people know this, but uh, uh, Deep is the one who actually founded it. We were not, yeah. um, you know, we, it's not that the founding team came together to set it up. We actually met in Make My Trip. So Deep is the one who uh, had this idea, built it. We all kind of liked the idea. So one by one. You know, four of us, this, this was me, Sachin Bhatia, K.U. Joshi. In fact, Sachin Bhatia and K.U. Joshi were, yep. um, they came on board just before I came on board. Uh, and that's how we kind of got together. So we actually met at Make My Trip. Um, and it's kind of an interesting story that uh, between, you know, when, when Deep uh, and I interacted for the first time. So we kind of um, liked each other. You know, we were, we were uh, you know, I was kind of sold on deep more than the, the business model at that point in time because introvert internet was ahead of its time at that point in time but you know i had the desire to work in an entrepreneurial setup working with uh, you know now i can say hindsight the person like deep who was the, who was entrepreneurial and visionary and that's how we kind of got together uh, and uh, in 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 between there was a situation that developed a little bit which was interesting where uh, when I was in the middle of kind of my notice period from the previous employer and looking to join Make My Trip, the situation started developing at Make My Trip where VC had started pulling back the money. And then I get a call from, from Deep and saying, listen, you know, I'm sorry, gentleman. Uh, he explained me the position because he had given me, uh, you know, the situation that we are kind of okay. We have money in the bank, this much is committed. Uh, etc., which was decent enough, and then of course I was supposed to come on board and and contribute and and also kind of take care of that aspect, if you will. Given that I was going to join him as CFO, uh, so which was totally fair. But then the situation developed, and then he came back and said, "Listen, this is what is the development." And also, uh, you know, the the incumbent CFO who was on board at that point in time also had a situation with Enron going bust. And then, you know, he was in the middle of kind of thing that, you know, what do I do kind of thing. So, so he asked me a question. So he said, listen, you know, what are you, uh, I hope you are on board and you're not thinking twice and all that, but I wanted to be in full, in spirit of full disclosure, share this development with you. And I remember telling him that, you know, sink or swim, we can, we will be together. Uh, I have no problem because I've moved on. So even if the situation has developed on the funding side, it, it's okay, you know, as long as you are thinking it from a long term standpoint, and you are there, and then we'll come and kind of, 
together figure out the solution and all that so that was little interesting trivia uh, between me and him when i came on board but uh, but all of us actually met at mcma trip we were not uh, either friends or from the same school or college before it's it's interesting that first i mean you referenced it in your in your initial kind of summary of the business and your time with it but you know that first year and a half two years was 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 fairly traumatic for any kind of young business whether as you said there was there was 9-11 and the the kind of the remnants of the dot-com crash and just everything that was going on in the travel industry post 9-11 I mean what do you think um how did the business kind of prepare itself to get through that or would it be fair to say that there was some good fortune as well involved yeah and then most definitely and in fact uh, it, it does play a role um, you know a little bit here and there uh, but I guess the you know um, when I look back and I kind of see the couple of things kind of stand out one I think there was a conviction in the model per se so, you know, the conviction in the model got us going, right? So, I mean, you know, the model was not necessarily new. It was a proven model in the other markets. It was a matter of time. It was not the question in our mind that whether it will succeed or not. I think that conviction existed and that got us going. And then with that, when that was very clear in our head, then it was just a question of managing resources, trying to make sure that how do we make sure then then the fundamental ecosystem improves we kind of are still there, you know, bootstrapping, you know, maybe borrowing money, maybe pooling in our own funds, just managing the situation. And we were also lucky, by the way, and I think that's what happens in a challenging situation that you will think harder and you will come up with some kind of a model that will help you survive during this crisis time. And, and maybe we were lucky there a little bit as well that we managed to, to get one niche model going, which was US, uh, uh, Indian residents based out of US, uh, non-resident Indians coming back to India. So that was actually our legacy business. So that's how those five years, believe it or not, we survived on that model where we didn't have to sell the online piece of it. We actually had a little call center uh, in, uh, in Delhi, uh, a very small modest call center with a 1-800-India-10 number for the non-resident Indians based out of US uh, who were familiar with online portals will come on our portal in the US. We had a tiny office there in US. We still have that. Uh, and, uh, and they would call up on the call center. We'll give them special ethnic pairs and then they will travel back to India. That's how we used to get some revenue going. And, and it was a very niche kind of a model, which, you know, uh, it did not um, have any kind of stiff competition, if you will. So it helped us uh, get some cash, and then the eBookers deal helped us helped, helped us uh, get some cash as well. Uh, and then we kept working on the product. We also did one important thing that we actually cut back on marketing immediately, uh, realizing that India wasn't really ready. Uh, and therefore, you know, when 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 we raised another round of capital, when when Sky started to open up, the low cost carriers came. Uh, came, came up uh, in, in 2005, September 2005 to be precise, is when we relaunched it. So during that time, I think the learnings is that, you know, one, of course, you have to uh, be convinced that you are here for long haul. It can't be short term. So you can't be panicking and you can't be, um, you know, having doubts in your mind 
about the model per se. Pivoting can happen, the tweaks can happen, but it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that the model is going to fail as long as you have the conviction and the proof of concept. Um, and once you have that, then it's all about just, you know, managing it very, very frugal uh, and keep doing the right kind of stuff on the product side till the market opens up and then you can, uh, you know, kind of go back and relaunch. Obviously a test of resilience uh, when you look back, because those were the times, by the way, we were all professionals and we had opportunity cost. All of us, we were not straight out of school or college. We were actually, you know, already senior management, um, you know, kind of employees in our previous avatars, right? I mean, you know, Deep, Deep was working as vice president in GE. I was heading a North Zone for AppTech, which was an education company. Uh, and then I was working with a startup before I joined MakeMatrip, but we were all established or, uh, you know, uh, kind of reached a certain level of, um, you know, uh, kind of experience in the corporate world. So we were already there. So there was opportunity cost, but I think uh, what, what, what got us going was the conviction and the faith and the, and the belief in the model. What, uh, definitely the last one from me before I hand over to David. I'm, I'm curious about the e-bookers period. Primarily because, you know, I'm here, I'm from the UK, I'm based in the UK. And it, when I first started writing about the travel industry, which was in 2005, the eBookers CEO, Dinesh Jama, who, who I'm sure, you know, was kind of held up as this almost kind of legendary figure in the UK as one of the kind of the pioneers of, of online travel agencies in the UK. And then he sold and kind of just became a recluse and you know his story is almost legendary in itself but i mean you would have been involved in that ebookers period then and would have known dinesh very well was there was there anything that you learned from him specifically that you then took on into the those kind of formative years of make my trip after things started ramping up in 2005 just because he was this kind of legendary figure or at least there was an aura about him for sure Absolutely. Actually, a very, very interesting question. Uh, and I did leverage all the experience that I actually got in eBookers setting up in India, all kinds of processes. You know, what we were trying to do was to actually move lot many processes from eBookers uh, UK and Europe because they were kind of struggling with their cost structures because it was damn expensive. And, you know, travel is a low margin business. Uh, and, and Dinesh Dhamija actually had, uh, you know, one of the qualities that he had was that he, he was clear what was the end goal for eBookers. So obviously he was, you know, uh, looking for a potential exit at some, at, at, at some point in time, giving the returns to, the, uh, to, to his stakeholders. Uh, and therefore, you know, one of the issues that he was encountering at that point in time was the cost structure. You know, the eBookers headquarters used to be in London, which was, you know, Farrington Street in London it used to be damn yeah real estate, right? And, and then Europe expansion that happened. It was an interesting kind of uh, transition from flight bookers, by the way, I'm sure you would know flight bookers, which was an offline travel company to come to eBookers. So because he saw online travel coming, um, you know, much ahead of uh, probably many others. So from that point of view, I think he was like clearly uh, first, first of the block there in, in that in that market. But the interesting piece, you know, where um, you know, I learned a lot was also to specific to travel as well as online travel was 
a lot of every little process, whether it was a sales process or it was a service process or the voice process or, you know, email, back office support. We migrated up IT services. We built up financial services. You know, so the whole travel, com- online travel company, all aspects of the business, we actually migrated and and learned and delivered out of the e-bookers India office. It was actually from scratch, literally. It was like from the first employee, literally brick by brick we built. And uh, when when I kind of exited, when I was an acting acting CEO for the India operations, uh, we were like 1,500, 2,000 people. So and a variety of processes that we had migrated. So that really, really helped me. So, you know, so my kind of coming back home uh, to make my trip in uh, early 2006, when we relaunched, I was very well equipped uh, from the learning standpoint, if you will, from, you know, because, you know, every aspect of online travel business at, at a scale I had dealt with. So that obviously helped me to apply all of that learning back here uh, at Make My Trip, and you know, which was uh, from 2006 onwards. And then we've just, uh, you know, kind of kept building up, kept scaling up the operations. Um, but there were clearly learnings when you would do your board meetings with the Dinesh Damija and his wife Tani Damija used to be involved as well. Um, from their point of view, the biggest one that stands out for me. I think the the clarity of thought and the goal was very, uh, very, very clear. You know, this was the end goal. And that's where he was kind of driving his, um, you know, execution roadmap, if you will. Well, uh, Rajesh, it's funny. I was actually about to ask. My first question was going to be uh, in depth on the e-bookers there, because uh, just as a comment now, it seems like you, you basically kind of drafted off of them for four to five years where you basically, they paid you to learn all the ropes and for you to kind of wait for the right timing for the Indian market to mature. Would you, would you agree with that characterization? Yeah, I think it kind of worked out like that. I don't think it was by design, obviously not because you know, the deal, the, the deal actually came to make my trip. Now my introduction to e-bookers was via make my trip where we were actually building it together at one point in time, Deep and I were doing it together dual role. I was also supposed to be involved in make my trip. So was he. Uh, but then one thing led to another and then I switched. But, you know, I think, to, to, uh, yes, it wasn't like by design. It definitely happened. But it, it uh, kind of helped immensely for sure because my knowledge about the online travel, full aspects of business at a scale uh, definitely helped me uh, bring all those learnings back into Make My Trip and then, you know, kind of uh, build uh, and scale up the company along with Deep and the others um, to, uh, to, to greater heights as we are today. So I wanted to kind of you know, delve into that. So timing is, is a really is a, a, I feel like the number of, you know, great ideas that are out there, you know, web van before, you know, Instacart and kind of stuff like that. Timing is everything. You, you guys clearly, you know, launched a little, little something, determined the timing was wrong when it did the ebookers kind of uh, gig and came back in, in 2005. What, what was it about 2005 that you guys started seeing? It was it you know, the low cost carriers, and that was it. Um, that basically said, you know, the timing is right. India is is going to be, uh, you know, ascendant. Actually, two or three things. So low cost carriers was definitely one of them, uh, and then there is also an Indian Railways portal that kind of started called ISCTC that opened up as well, and then more importantly, the internet 
you know, penetration started to improve. The internet infrastructure uh, relative to 2000 started to improve. It was actually still very poor. It was, you know, the broadband wasn't really there. Broadband, by the way, for the longest time till even 2010 was uh, abysmally low. It was narrow brand, narrow, narrow band for all these years. But it was better than what it was in 2000. The payment gateways, the digi digital payment ecosystem started to improve. So it gave it gave us an impression that uh, one on the travel side, it's kind of opening up. The second is the internet ecosystem that is improving. Uh, and 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 you know, so the unidimensional products like ticketing, like air ticketing, you know, uh, or for that matter, subsequently that opened because Indian Railways was actually initially not distributing through OTAs. But subsequently, then they decided to do it. But they were all unidimensional product. They were not like very involved uh, buying uh, kind of uh, products online, um, unlike hotels, you know, because hotels took a lot more time. It also needed high quality bandwidth uh, because of the content that you have to render is pretty rich. So, you know, those are the few developments at that point in time that helped us uh, decide. And then, of course, you know, when we we were also exploring to raise more money uh, and, um, uh, you know, safe partners at that point in time kind of looked at it from a, uh, you know, a VC standpoint uh, and also felt that, you know, the time is perhaps now right for us to, to relaunch. So I guess the bunch of factors came together for us to to think that it probably is the, re, uh, you know, appropriate time to, to relaunch it. So kind of as you relaunched this, you know, you mentioned that you know, this was obviously a tried and true model, the, you know, the OTA model um, that you were applying to, to India. And so I find that there is always um, wonderful uh, growing paint stories when, whenever uh, someone is applying a, that, like, um, a tried and true model to a developing economy like that. Um, and I, I'd love it if you could kind of just elaborate a little bit more on kind of like what were some of those uh, those kind of uh, misconnections moments between you and the market you guys were trying to address? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Actually, uh, you are so right because they, they, especially in the developing and emerging countries, there are nuances which are very different. And therefore, just the, the you know, although OTA model was tried and tested in the Western world, but you would not necessarily be able to do complete copy paste. I think that is the biggest mistake that anyone can do when you are looking at evolved models who have done really, really well, trying to take it to an emerging market without uh, understanding and knowledge of that market, the, the nuances that that kind of brings in. I'll give you a very interesting one. Um, and I think uh, at some level it was embarrassing at that point in time. We did not have e-ticket. We had paper tickets. You know, so when we relaunched, it was not electronic ticket. It was all paper tickets. And we used to actually, you know, package all those paper tickets in the couriers and then send every, at the end of every day. We were inundated where, you know, by bookings at that point in time because the alternative was damn painful or opaque for that matter, right? It was not transparent at all with the, with the offline traditional travel agent. Uh, and as it was launched, it uh, became very, uh, popular because it was user friendly. It was also very transparent and so on. So from consumer perspective, we had a lot of uh, traffic coming on our portal right away, but we didn't know what to do because we couldn't actually fulfill it because it was all, it wasn't like electronic. It is not like today that, you know, you, you make the payment and then you have the, within few seconds, you actually have your electronic ticket 
or hotel voucher or booking voucher with you for every booking. So, you know, and, and stuff like that, when you start looking at it, and similarly on the supply side, it was not a plug, plug and play. I remember that, you know, um, we, we were the first ones to actually build direct connects with the low cost carriers. They, it did not exist. They didn't even know, uh, you know, how to do it. Because, you know, if you, if you look at the evolved markets on the air side, you will have GDS connectivity, which is hosting the entire, uh, you know, airlines content. And, and there is a clear connectivity between GDS and the, and the OTA. And you actually have end-to-end -end kind of booking experience, which was not a, a cakewalk uh, in India. It was completely different because for low-cost carrier, you had to do direct connect. There was no GDS element in between. Uh, and you have to just work on these direct connects and then kind of go through all the nuances um, along with them. So it has been a major revolution. Uh, and similarly, if I just, uh, uh, you know, kind of also talk about hotel supply side network, uh, given the fact that it was highly fragmented and most of the emerging markets is highly fragmented, it is not necessarily consolidated, confined to, you know, few handful of chains uh, who are one tech savvy and also there are, you know, the, the platform that are hosting their contents and then you can just go and plug and play. You actually have to do huge amount of heavy lifting in terms of giving them access through a user-friendly technology or tool that you will build and invest behind and then educate them to adapt um, because adoption is also really, really poor. Uh, it takes years together for them to be able to just get used to it and do it. And most of the times you have to end up doing manually with your own team uh, while you are going through this growing pains and so on. So, you know, while on the face of it, it looked like that everything is hunky-dory on an online side, but in emerging markets, it is actually backside, backend is at times is very clunky. Over the years, it gets streamlined and it becomes completely seamless and frictionless. So what are some, like, I'm, I'm curious, what are some of the things you did to kind of, uh, you know, you said it's hunky-dory on the front end, but, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, almost like scotch tape on the back end. I, I remember hearing a story about, um, in India in particular, and I don't know if this is legend or not, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyways, is that um, an Amazon competitor in India um, I was struggling with how to deliver their packages in India, and they uh, literally hired the ex, um, um, sorry, not the ex, the, the current uh, kind of your equivalent of the, the UPS, the, your your your, uh, your normal national uh, mail people during their off hours. So if they work from nine to six, they'd hire over them from six to ten, and those people knew their neighborhoods really well. And that was their kind of hack because they're in a lot of India. There wasn't uh, real addresses. And actually, I just reminded that when you mentioned the thing about couriering your uh, your tickets to people, and um, I, I'm just like I, I think that you like a lot. So many developing. Uh, you know, company, sorry, developing country OTAs. Yeah, you have this like beautiful interface that actually looks like everyone else's, you know, interface like Orbis and Expedia, but you're here on the back end, you know, duct taping everything back together. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and by the way, in the spirit of disclosure, I'll tell you that the Amazon competition in India is Flipkart and I've been on their board for many years as well. Uh, did they, did they do that? Is, this, yes. is that story <laughs> true? They did that in the past uh, and they oh. evolved. <laughs> of course, absolutely. 
Uh, it's funny. I, I heard that story and I, I kept on trying to find a way to verify it and I knew it was Flipkart. Uh, but I, I like, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. I'll follow up with you. <laughs> Flipkart, is, Flipkart is also now, uh, you know, Walmart invested in Flipkart sometime back as well. Uh, but, you know, product e-commerce also went through this because they also had massive logistics uh, operations to take care of it. So the evolution on logistics and warehousing, by the way, with where it stands today uh, and what it was a few years, about 10 years ago, there is a massive difference. There's a sea difference in, you know, now there's cutting edge technologies used even in warehousing and so on and so forth. So we've come a long way uh, in India, but that's how it started. That's how it started. And then, like I was telling you, our example on the supply side, it was fairly clunky. In fact, you know, on the, we, at one point in time, we actually used to have massive in-house call center operations, which was also true for e-bookers for that matter, because, and that was all sitting in India, which is what kind of optimized the cost for them. But I remember 2008 was our first kind of milestone rebadging deal with about 250 call center employees. Mm, you know, uh, transitioning them to IBM Daksh at that point in time, because we said, uh, you know, uh, our uh, DNA DNA for our, for make my trip was more tech oriented, and this whole call center back office operations could be better handled by the BPO outfit, and we rebashed, and then you know, uh, when we were working on technology over the years to make the experience more self service rather than just growing on call center, leveraging technology. And the smartphones actually changed the game. Uh, you know, when smartphones came, uh, India, uh, like China, became uh, an app market. Uh, and that device kind of helped us to tremendously improve the experience overall from a customer standpoint end to end. Uh, so that has, you know, that has actually for the last five years, that has been a game changer in the uh, online evolution of uh, Indian online market as well. Now, Rajesh, and we're kind of jumping around a little bit here in the timeline of the story, but this is this is all really good. I mean, I, I'm curious now a little bit about the um, the process that led up to the public listing. Um, yeah. It was it was such a a major achievement, I think, for an you know an Indian tech company to do that. I mean, how did you, as a team and yourself personally, kind of approach that phase? and get through it and are any of the kind of like uh, war stories that you gained along the way that you that you're able to kind of share with us through that process no sure i mean it's obviously a very very um, defining kind of uh, milestone moment for the company i mean personally it was satisfying as well i know for the whole management team um, given uh, you know the kind of uh, what it takes to kind of become a public company as well uh, but more from a process standpoint, and, and before that, maybe an, an interesting trivia. In fact, uh, uh, when we started kind of talking about that, you know, maybe there is a potential now we can just take the company to public. We started kind of thinking about it, you know, um, had a debate on, on our board. Uh, and the bigger uh, debate was whether we should list in India, given that, you know, underneath businesses in India, or should we list in US? And the, the house was kind of divided. It wasn't like a unanimous kind of uh, 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 the view, if you will. Uh, wasn't that that we should list uh, in US or India? So we kind of gone through the, you kind of went through that debate that happened. I think there, there was merit in the argument uh, for India listing as well, 
given that you know the business they underneath these business was in india but we all things considered we decided in favor of us because the understanding of the internet business model uh, was much more with the investor community um in the us as well as in the analyst community and we weren't really for whatever it's worth were concerned about uh, corporate governance levels or uh, you know higher level of scrutiny uh because of the fact that uh, you know we believed even in the private setup we were actually running it quite professionally we used to have independent directors much before we went public you know just to give you an example so the level of corporate governance we were all very comfortable we were all professionals as i uh, as i mentioned earlier you know we so we had some experience of you know operating in large companies and you know how the corporate governance models kind of work so i and and fundamentally also we kind of believed in it that the if you have to scale up the company you have to put that kind of process and structure in place so as we were kind of going through this process obviously was uh very time consuming one side you obviously have to uh you know make sure that the business goals are met because if the business goals are not met then all that hard work that you do from a, a pure ipo process standpoint just whatever it takes to for you to be able to do it from prospective stage to the to taking the company public everything can go waste so you actually have to have independent parallel tracks and a lot of people think that you know there is a war room that is kind of just a few bunch of people kind of sitting and doing the process which is true which is a you know the whole finance team or critical people in finance team the cfo obviously is uh, you know up to its neck for this uh, and then there are lawyers the auditors the advisors the bankers you know so you <laughs> you have all kinds of uh, people uh, who come together to kind of just uh, um pull this one off but a uh, most important aspect also is to also keep running the business and making sure the business goals are also met and i think from my point of view um uh, while on one track uh, it was important to run the process at a speed and i think we did it ended up doing it in a record time a lot of people tell me that but you know it was okay i mean i i didn't pay that much attention to maybe the number of hours was say maybe we stretched a lot lot more in that confined period of 6 months that we ended up kind of uh, from end to end deliver this project but i think the important piece was uh, and maybe for the listeners as well whosoever is thinking about it not to forget about the other important track because you won't be able to get out um if your goals are not met because at the end of the day you are going to sell the story on the back of the business goals that you would have delivered um you know not necessarily you are going to kind of go out and be tell how much how hard working it was for the team for us to be able to get to that position i don't think that's really um and that's important uh, you know when you look at it from a different lens but uh, i think it's critical to keep the 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 parallel track going i think that was a learning so the ability to keep both going at the same pace mutually exclusively and not getting both the tracks getting going off track was the biggest one if you ask me and then of course the when you get there you ring the bell and all that is very very satisfying and i think the the satisfaction comes from two aspects one that you deliver value to the stakeholders existing stakeholders and the journey begins for the new ones right and you know there was no doubt in our mind it wasn't the the exit for the the founders or the management team it was actually the beginning uh, if you will because the new investors come in and invest on um, in you you raise money 
and the second which is actually more critical was from the people side because we had a deep esop plan and and seeing that people seeing suddenly the paper stock very very valuable was extremely satisfying for us and you know there are stories around people buying homes and stuff so i guess those were really high moments yeah i've i've heard deep talking about that before at a conference and one thing i've always been curious yeah you know, and i asked this question with as much respect as i can but with a certain amount of curiosity and that is often and not just in travel but around many tech companies it is such a milestone when they get to list publicly that often the founding team do tend to drift away after that it's fairly unusual for at least two of the founders yourself and deep 10 years on from that public listing to still be massively involved in running the company so um, before david uh, wraps us up with his final question i'm curious as to what kind of keeps you there because you've achieved so many milestones and you know personally it would be okay well i'm done i might as well move on so what does keep you there yeah no i think it's an interesting one and this is uh, you are not the only one who's been asking this question time you know we keep getting this question off and on because a lot of people actually see that happening in the in the marketplace with many other companies i think it's a uh, you know from our point of view it's just uh, or perhaps simply we we did have two uh, co-founders who kind of moved on and and are doing their new businesses and stuff actually kayur is still uh, on our advisory board sachin has been um you know kind of involved in other projects he is now running another um social e-commerce company but from from deep in my point of view i, I think it was more um that we kept enjoying because we were running a public company so there was an experience of running a public company the experience of scaling up the company and then there was market consolidation move happened we became from one brand to we became three brands and i guess you know uh, we have uh, over the last 10 years post ipo also i don't know whether there has been any dull moment to be honest so it has just kept us very busy with the business with the thought that best is still yet to come so you know so when you keep thinking like that and you are still enjoying i guess you don't end up thinking maybe anything different and and that is so true because we've just been very busy um kind of running the running the business for the for the last 10 years uh and continue to believe that there is more headroom and there is more uh there are more opportunities and you know every milestone after milestone that you've been able to to get to and that is something that keeps you going i would have thought thanks rajesh so i have one kind of wrap up question you said something uh, interesting how a lot of people when they try to uh, go to foreign markets uh, or apply a uh, a foreign concept to a their own home market um uh they just copy and paste is the the uh the term you use and i like that um I kind of want to ask you um you know what what countries and what markets right now are you most excited about outside of India uh that you uh look at and go you could either US could potentially expand or you just think there's a lot of opportunity and also just kind of a, I guess extra credit question here is uh what you know what company has had the most spectacular failure in copy and pasting into a into a foreign market Oh wow the second one is an interesting one and i don't know if i can name one but let me just tell you the first one first um uh you know uh, 
I think there are many interesting markets. And, you know, as we look around, uh, you know, definitely all the emerging markets. I mean, I'm keeping China aside because China has evolved quite a bit already. But, you know, in Southeast Asia, uh, Indonesia has been also very, uh, you know, great market, you know, great potential. Um, before that, if you look at it uh, on the other side, Brazil was a very good market as well. And now Vietnam is kind of opening up as well. I mean, you know, so uh, there are these... Uh, kind of hidden gems, if you will, uh, where which would definitely be, be, you know, kind of offer a lot of potential, if you will. There's also an interesting market that we see from our point of view, barring the Southeast Asian markets. It's also Middle East market. Um, I don't think there is an OTA, local OTA that has been um, well established there. I think it's just more because of the, I think it's this booking.com and all the global OTAs that are out there. I, you know, and, and, and it's also an emerging, it's also an interesting market from a potential standpoint. So these are some of these interesting markets, which has a lot of potential and might be different because, you know, every unique, every market is, um, uh, offers something unique, has something um, very unique, which is not necessarily there in the Western market uh, or for that matter, even in China. Uh, or India for that matter, right? So as we go, like, for example, we do have our Redbus brand actually operating in some of these markets. We have externalized that brand. We've been able to take Redbus to oh, some of these uh, markets, uh, you know, with the same kind of playbook that we had built full stack. Um, and you learn huge amount of unique things in Indonesia. Um, you know, like you would see um, in, Lat in LATAM that there is a lot of, uh, you know, the credit market is very different. So, you know, so there, there, there are different markets will, will offer potential, huge potential, but will also come up with their own um, interesting nuances that you will have to be there and learn. I don't think you can just kind of, uh, you know, bring a concept and then just, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, just take a cookie cutter approach and kind of implement there. That doesn't work. Uh, in terms of uh, your other question, I think that, I, I, without naming, I think it is just fair to say that it will be more where the decision making is very centralized. Uh, and, but I still want to op run an operation in an emerging market. I think that is where the biggest gap is because it doesn't give agility uh, to the local operations, you know, in terms of whatever you want to do um, as part of your running that business. And also, becomes very difficult for uh, you know the local um, team and management to be able to just gather all the knowledge stitch everything together uh, i think they probably kind of get lost in back and forth more than they could uh, you know if there was uh, full fledged um, empowered operations uh, in the emerging markets if you will so that has been my observation um, you know which kind of is very different i'm pretty sure uh, that there are other ways of kind of, uh, you know, these large global players also do it. But, you know, especially in emerging markets, it becomes really tough. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Rajesh. That was, that was great. I mean, there's some of your uh, backstories there. We, we interviewed um, Stuart Crichton from clear trip just before in the back end of 2019 and he he had some you know similar stories about what it was like in those early days in the mid 2000s you know creating that business in uh, in india as well so it's it's great to get your perspective as well so uh, again so thank you very much rajesh for joining us on how i got here thank you thanks for having me thank you i really enjoyed it thanks
Okay, that's great. So, uh, so that's it from uh, another episode of How I Got Here. That's uh, Mosey and Focuswise uh, weekly stories where we speak to the entrepreneurs and innovators in travel and transportation. As always, you can find us if you haven't subscribed already to the podcast on Spotify, Alexa, Google Podcasts, all the usual places. So go on there, give us a review. We always appreciate it. Thanks ever so much to everybody. Thanks ever so much from David and I for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you, thank you, David, and thank you, Kevin. Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week. Thank you.